Thank you for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message and his word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. I'm really happy about this series um, because I feel like in all of the traveling that God has allowed me to do, this is something that most pastors won't touch, if I'm honest, or at least not much, um, because they're probably a little more interested in making sure that that you come here and you serve every day and come to every service and they're so worried about what you contribute to the church that they don't want to really adjust, you, talk to you about adjusting your pace. But I love this because um, Tim just doesn't preach this, he actually lives it. I remember one time being on a ministry uh, engagement with him out of town and I had worked, my first nine years of ministry were in the inner city and we worked six days a week, um, 50 to 70, sometimes 80 hours a week for nine years. The motto was, you don't call in sick you crawl in sick it was just like that was how we went and then I met Tim and we were preaching at the same thing and he said hey guys I'm preaching tonight so I'm gonna go to my room and they said oh you're gonna go prepare and like pray and get before the Lord And he's like I'm going to take a nap and then he looked at me and said you should too no one in ministry has ever told me to take a nap except for Tim Ross and so uh, this is something that he has lived out and, and understands if you haven't been here, the, the, the sermon series that you're in right now is the tortoise versus the hare. I'm going to assume that most of you know that, and if not, the other three and a half of you are going to Google it on the way out. Um, spoiler alert, the hare wins, okay? So this race between the tortoise and the hare, and this whole, the whole series is really about this. I mean, the tortoise wins. I'm not really sure. I'm just here to preach. I don't know the story. I don't, but the slow one wins. Um, so... The idea that Tim has really felt is the culture for this house is that it's a walking lifestyle, not a running lifestyle. The culture outside of the kingdom of God is always pushing you and rushing you, and it's like, (gasps) you can never catch up, and then you come into the embassy as ambassadors, and you find that the culture of the kingdom is not so. So he's walked us through two weeks of, number week one one was God walks. And we talk about through the Old Testament, you see God walked in the garden. And all the references that you will see in the Old Testament is people walked before God or God walked with Abraham. You see God walking. And the second uh, week was Jesus walks because Kanye said, I mean, Jesus said that... (laughs) If you see him in the New Testament, he has, he has his pace. Now, he's very efficient, but you see Jesus, and nobody could rush Jesus anywhere. He was going to go at his pace. He had a very deliberate pace, and we're going to talk more about why later. Uh, God walks. Jesus walks. Next week, he's going to talk about um, the Holy Spirit. But I want to emphasize today a little just the idea of finishing the race, if that's okay. Can I do that this morning? I want to talk about finishing. We're going to start right in the scripture, and we're going to live within the lines of the text throughout this message. That's the only way I know how to do. But I want us to look closely at a few things. We're going to start in 2 Timothy 4, 6, and 8, and then we're going to go to Hebrews 12. Uh, They'll have it on the screens for you. I'm reading, I think, out of the NIV or whatever I pasted into my notes, okay? says this. This is Paul the Apostle talking, right, towards the very end of his life, and he says this. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near, or my death. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Somebody say finished. I have kept the faith. 
So now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Hebrews 12 says it like this, another race reference. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, comma, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. First thing I want to do today is to address this. So for most of you, I know you're the kind of church that when a message is preached, you're going to go home and search the scriptures for yourself, right? And find out what God says for yourself. So I know you're going to go home, and this is what I don't want to happen. Tim's been talking about we walk, we don't run, and then you go home, and you're going to start to read through some of Paul's writings, and you go, hold up. Paul says we're supposed to run a race, and he keeps talking about running to win and run. And I want you to know this. I want to just establish this, that there is no contradiction between Paul's analogies and the content of what you're hearing right now. So you see Paul use the race analogy talking about athletics. But if you look at every single time he uses it, not one time is Paul talking about pace. Every time he is talking about it, he is talking about how if you're going to run, you can't just sprint. you got to make it to the finish line or you don't win. He's talking about how you need to have self-discipline, how you need to train your body. He's talking about how you need to have the passion and endurance. So all of his race analogies aren't talking about pace. They're talking about finishing. That's why when he's done with his life, right, he doesn't say, I won the race. He doesn't say, I beat that joker so bad in this race. He doesn't say any of those things. He just says this, I finished the race. The point of the race is not to win. It's to finish. And when you finish, there are no trophies. There's no gold. There's no silver. There's no bronze there are only crowns that you get to cast at Jesus' feet. See, it's hard for us to understand this because we live in such a competitive culture. My husband one time stayed up last time we were here till like 3 in the morning with him playing video games. And I was like, babe, I got a little baby. It's 3 a.m. What are you doing? He's like, babe, I caught so many L's. I just had to get a W before I went to sleep. And Tim was like, I beat him so many times I almost let him win. He's so competitive. He could not go to sleep until he got one win. That's just how we are. That's just how we're wired. So we hear race and we go, boom, who's winning and who's losing? And the kingdom of God comes and says, no, 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 no. When I said race, here's what I forgot to tell you is that you can't win because it's already been won. All you can do is finish. So Paul says, I finished the race. He, he reemphasizes this fact in Hebrews chapter 12, right? When he says, um, I want you to run with endurance the race set before you then there's a comma connecting it to this thought he says run with endurance not pace not how fast you go endure run with endurance looking unto Jesus 
Not looking unto Instagram, not looking unto the corporate ladder, not looking unto the culture of today and what everyone else tells you he, you should have, but no, as you run, your forerunner, the one that goes before you, is your example. Look to him because what he did is he endured until the end, until it was finished. He says, consider Jesus when you're running this race so that you will not grow weary and faint. The idea of this race that we've been given is to finish. So if the goal is to finish, right, let's talk. What does finishing look like? Define finishing for me, Katie. Finishing does not mean dying, okay? Everybody's going to die. Finishing also doesn't mean I died without turning my back on God. I kept the faith. That's also not finishing. Colossians 1.16, you can read later when you get home, it talks about how we were actually created not just by God, but we were created for God, right? That we are actually sent here with a purpose. So here is what my definition of finishing is, according to what I believe scripture says. Finishing is leaving this earth knowing you did everything you were sent to earth to accomplish for the kingdom, even if you accomplished none of the things that are celebrated on earth. Finishing is leaving this earth knowing I completed everything I was sent to earth to accomplish for the kingdom of God, even if I did not accomplish any of the things that are celebrated on this earth, even if I never got the promotion, even if I never owned a home, even if I got, never got a nicer car, even if I never got married, if none of those things happened that I'm running so hard after, if I can get to the end and know everything I was designed to do on this earth, I did, I left it all on the court, If I could know that, that's finishing. That's finishing. See, scripture, I love this, Acts 13, 36. Not to sound morbid, but this is like probably the scripture I want on my tombstone. Only my name instead of his, right? That would be weird. But uh, it says this, simply, it says this. And then after David had served the purpose of God in his generation, he died. After he had served God's generation and, and Serve the purpose of God in his generation, he died. What is that? That's, that's finishing. That's finishing. It's saying, I don't know what else I, I'm going to do in this life, but as long as I do what I was sent to do, that's finishing. See, scripture speaks incessantly, right, about us being sent on purpose to this earth by God, for God, to do things foreordained before time and all these things. You're here to be salt of the earth and light of the world and all these things. It's constantly, constantly telling us, so when I was preparing this message, I kept getting a visual. The, the picture I kept getting was the picture of a candle. Any candle lovers in here? I love canti- candles. I love scented candles. I love beautiful candles, all of this. Well, the candle really only does a few things, and I think it actually is probably the most concise picture of what an ambassador of Jesus Christ is really supposed to do. It is very simple. A candle does three things. It brings light to dark places. It changes atmospheres just by being in a room and it creates a pleasing aroma. The call and the design of most of all believers is really just to do these three things. It's to be light in the darkness, to change atmospheres just by being in a room, and to create an aroma that's just, not just pleasing to God, but it is also attractive to man. Am I right? Is that what we're here for? So the call of Christ, if that's the call of Christ, and we see this picture of a candle, here's the thing I want you to know about a candle. If you look over 
uh, a candle and you think it's beautiful and you get it home, you ever had a candle that like you burn and you can't believe how quickly it's, it's over? You're like, I paid too much money for that candle. I can't believe my favorite candle is gone. Well, I discovered the secret that you probably all know and I'm just too stupid and I didn't know it, but this is it. If you turn that candle over, there's something on the bottom that says burn time. This is burn time, 100 hours. Burn time, 150 hours. And here's what that is. That is saying the creator has designed this candle with a certain type and amount of wax and wick and all these things so that it will burn. If it's burned the way it was designed to burn, it will burn for approximately 100 hours as long as you burn it the way it was supposed to burn. So here's our, my other analogy, right? It's just like a candle that we're created to bring light to darkness, change atmospheres, and create an aroma that's pleasing to God and attractive to the world. We also have a burn time. We, God has designed us and sent to this, us to this earth, right, to do certain things for a certain amount of time. We were made to do a certain amount of things on this earth. The problem is that we now want to burn our own way. Okay, people want to just burn their own way rather than the way God designed them. What does that look like? Yet you take a candle, say, you know what, this candle is giving a little light, but you know what, I think I could be much more effective with this candle. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna flip this candle on its side. I'm gonna dig out the wax all on the bottom of it, and I'm gonna find the other end of this wick. I'm gonna light it, and I'm gonna burn the candle at both ends. Ever heard that phrase? I'm going to burn the candle at both ends. And they swear they're being more effective. Look at me, y'all. I figured it out. Here's the key. Burn like this at both ends, and you're going to be more effective. But here's the problem. When you burn a candle at both ends because it's not designed to burn that way, two things happen. You draw attention to yourself. What is, look at that. Look at that light. Wow, they're awesome. And number two, you cut your burn time in half. And so while you're doing it and while you're running at that pace, you think, all right, I'm being more effective, more efficient. But what you don't realize is you're taking years off of your life. You're taking years maybe off of your marriage, off of the things that you were called to do in this life. See, when you turn a a candle on its side and you burn it at both ends, what happens to everything underneath it? Everybody underneath it either gets burned or at least gets messy because it is not the way a candle was designed. So here's what I want to tell you. God designed us to burn one way at one pace. He actually created the pace before he created the people. He already created the pace. And if God can get a hold of your pace, then you can say like David that I didn't die diseased, I died done. Right? Which is the goal. I can finish. So God sent you to this earth with a specific purpose. And so he is personally invested in getting you to your finish line. He is more committed than you are to getting you to that finish line. So Genesis 2, 23, excuse me, 2, verse 2 and 3, we see this, by the seventh day, God finished the work, creating heavens and earth, right? And he rested on the seventh day from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it set apart or holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. So God sets this pace, right? Isaiah points out to us this, that the creator never gets sleepy, tired, weary, nothing. So he was not resting for him. He was resting for us. 
He was resting to set a rhythm, to set a precedent that would help us get to the finish line because he knew if we tried to burn our own way, we would never make our burn time. We'd never make the finish line. So he said, this is what it's going to be. I'm going to create a rhythm, right? It's going to be this, labor, 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 rest. Labor, 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 rest. And if you keep the rhythm that I'm creating and you keep this pace, this is a finishing pace. He says this pretty much, God will still bless the rest. Genesis says he blessed the day of rest. The six days of labor were great, but he put a special mark of blessing on the seventh day, which was the day of rest. So this pace, right, is significant. You're like, why does this matter? It's significant because then you fast forward, right? God calls Moses up to a mountain to give them some commandments uh, that they are going to govern their lives, right? And so all of a sudden, you got all these commandments that, to be honest, they seem like no-brainers, right? It's like, don't murder, don't, you know, don't be violent, don't be a pervert, don't be a thief and a criminal, don't be stupid. You know, like it's really, don't be an idolater. And then he slows down and he takes his time and he spends the most time on this one and he goes, also... Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. He reiterates what that means. Six days you labor, but the seventh is a Sabbath to your God. Nobody works. For in six days, verse 11, for in six days God made the heavens, earth, sea, and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. What was he saying to them? This commandment, he was saying, remember God will still bless the rest. He will still bless the pace that he set. So I understand that many believe that this commandment is no longer relevant because it was under the law, but I would like to point out to you it existed before the law, that the rhythm God set started before the law, and the law, they're just told to remember it. And so while we don't follow the religious regulations of it, the spirit of the Sabbath ought to be well alive in our hearts and in our lives because it's the rhythm that God set. So in a few moments, I'm going to talk I'm going to fast forward. We're going to look unto Jesus, like the scriptures say, to see how he ran in such a way that he could finish. But before, I want us just to take a few minutes to get some context. What is this whole Sabbath thing? What was the whole real point of it? What was the spirit of the Sabbath, right? So, so let's answer this question according to scripture. Why rest? Why a day of rest? Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 14, he tells them, he reiterates the commandments, and he says, observe the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Six days labor, do all your work, but seventh day is Sabbath to the Lord on it. You don't do any work, not you, your family, your servants, your animals, your whatever, your livestock, anybody, so that your servants may rest as well as you do. So the, the first reason for the Sabbath is the obvious one. You rest to restore, okay? What God was saying is, I know in your own mind what you're going to think is if I work harder and I work my people harder and my animals harder, we'll be more effective. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce you to a way that is higher than your way and thoughts that are higher than your thoughts. And if you honor this, you will find out what I already know, which is that God will still bless the rest. So if you actually honor this, you'll be restored. Your body, your servants, everything that works for you will work better for you and more efficiently. So the first reason is the obvious. It's to restore. Now, this is the one I love. Verse 15, he continues on. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt 
And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Okay, this is a good one. Number two, the Sabbath, you would rest to remember. See, when you're, when you're in a rush, you forget everything. Maybe it's just me. You forget everything, right? You forget your keys. You forget your kids' lunch. Maybe your kids. You forget once in a while at school. But, you know, you forget everything because you're in a hurry. When you slow down, you remember your phone. You just happen to have all the things you need. But when you're in a rush, something always gets forgotten. So, so God says, when you're in a rush, you, you're hustling so hard to get that promotion, to get that pay increase or all these things you're in such a rush that you forget you never got that job on your own merit anyway so now you think you're going to get farther but you never got here on your own anyway God said no no no, hold up remember pause and have a rhythm every week where you stop and you remember that as hard as I might think I can work I didn't work myself here it was the grace of God that landed me here in the first place as they sat still they'd have to remember on the Sabbath that their resource was not their source that God was their source they'd have to remember that all of our work and efforts and stuff and our rushing around in all of this we will still fail if it is not for the grace of God remember that you were in bondage. Remember that you didn't work your way out of it. God brought you out of it. Remember, stop and remember that you are not your own God. You didn't rescue yourself. You didn't get yourself. See, um, forgetting is accidental, but remembering is intentional. He's saying be intentional about remembering. Have a rhythm and a pace that says, I, I, I haven't forgotten that now how, no matter how hard I run, without him I will fail. In other words, if I could rewrite the scripture, a paraphrase, it would say this, be still and know that you are not God. Slow down, be still, and remember that you are not your own provider. That you're part of a kingdom and it only has one king. You answer to one king. You don't answer to an inbox. You don't answer to a device. You don't answer to your schedule. You answer to one king, and he has already set the pace. So picture it back then, right, Sabbath? I picture for some reason the father in my head when I see this, and I see all his crops outside and his fields, and I say the servants are all just kind of sitting there twiddling their thumbs. The animals are, like, crossing their legs, like, tell us when it's time. And the kids are, everyone's just resting. And I picture this, um, the father sitting in his rocking chair, and he's anxious. He's, he's got that look on his face as if, like, the same way you would if somebody took away all your devices and your car. You'd just feel helpless, right? I can't do anything. So he's sitting there looking out the window, seeing all the work that has to be done, and he's just rocking back and forth, man. <sighs> okay. And then his demeanor starts to change. Rest, remember the Lord your God. Remember the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt. Remember, okay, let me remember. And he starts to reflect as he's sitting there because he can't do anything else. He's not allowed to. So uh, he can't touch any of it, but he starts to remember. Um, I, I know this looks like too much work to accomplish in six days, but just remind myself, let me remember that that sea looked too big to cross. Uh, let me remember that for 40 years we wandered and yet somehow the soles of our shoes just never ran dry. Just remember that when we didn't know where a next meal was coming from every day, something called manna just 
fell from heaven and God provided every single. Remember that even though you're trying to control us, that, that it is only God who gave you the power to get wealth anyways. You didn't get yourself here. God got you here. And he set a pace in order for you not to beat anybody else you're competing with, but for you to finish. Heaven cares that you finish. And so now he's staring out the window and his, his, his whole feeling changes. And now all of a sudden he's stirred because he's recalling the days of old, the miracles of old, the hand of God on his behalf. And he wakes up Monday morning to a week that would have felt overwhelming, but instead he wakes up just ready to go. He's got the kind of faith that you can only have when a miracle is still fresh in your mind. And he says, give me this land today. I will take over it. Come on. I've got the faith to believe. Why? Because he rested to remember and it changed his perspective and reminded him that he was not God. That God could still provide, do, up, do every single thing that needed to be done. That was number two. So number three, rest to remind. I found it interesting in Deuteronomy 6, 20 to 24 when I found this. And he's not specific, specifically speaking about Sabbath. He's speaking about all of the law and commands. And he says this, in the future... Your children will ask you, what is the meaning of these laws and regulations the Lord has commanded us? Then you must tell him. Then you must tell your children, we were slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his strong hand. Verse 24, and the Lord our God commanded us to obey these decrees and fear him so he can continue to bless us and preserve our lives as he has done this day. So go back to the picture you had of the man, right? The father staring out the window, stressed, anxious about everything that has to be done, but then God is telling him he got to rest and slow down. And then he starts recalling all the things. But while all this is happening, his kid, because he's bored out of his mind, he can't do nothing either, um, he's watching him. And so finally, the kid just gets the courage up to go and kind of interrupt his dad and go, hey, Dad, hey, Dad, can I ask you a question? Dad's like, I mean, I got nothing else to do. Sure, what, what's your question? And he's like, Dad, why do we do this? Why do we do what, son? I mean, I know you're not lazy. You're such a hard worker, and I know there's so much to be done, but six days we work so hard, and this seventh day is so weird that we just sit here and do nothing. Why do we sit here? Can you tell me why? And because the dad has nothing else to do, he is not in a rush today so he has time to say let me tell you a story son let me tell you a story that the life that we're living right now at one point was only a dream and let me be honest the life that we have now daddy didn't get us here our father got us here and daddy didn't work his way here but God, by his mighty hand, brought us here. Let me tell you a story. And as he begins to the, tell the story to the next generation of the deeds of old, God leans in and he listens and he smiles and he says, I'm going to do something right now. And he starts to walk amongst the lines of his crop and he starts to put his hand out and say, this crop will be blessed this week because God will still bless the rest. And he puts his hand over the marriage and says, this marriage will be blessed because God will still bless the rest rest because God blesses people who bless him by honoring his principles and by taking the time to make sure the kingdom of God is a story that's retold over and over again. This is a pace that makes space, but when you're a rush, you forget things, right? 
And when you slow down, which is why this series is so important, and you adjust your pace, you remember what matters. You remember why you were sent here. You remember even if all the things I'm striving to get, I don't get any of them, there is still something. I have been sent to this earth to accomplish something, and I want to finish. Even if I do none of the things celebrated on earth, I want to do every single thing I was sent to do. This is the kind of pace that attracts the blessing and favor of God and attracts the grace that you need to finish. So God established a pace with the Sabbath that was sustainable, a pace where you didn't have to choose between putting the kingdom of God first and feeding your family. You don't have to choose between the two, where you could pay the bills and still fulfill every single thing he sent you here to do, a pace where you would not faint, but you would finish labor, 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 rest, labor, 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 rest. You know who has a hard time embracing this? Competitive people. The people in the race who are trying to beat other people, who are trying to beat their coworkers and the people on Instagram, those people who are just competitive, they have a hard time understanding that this race is not about trophies, it's about crowns. And the only one way you get one is by getting to the finish line. People who look onto Instagram rather than looking into Jesus have a hard time with this pace. But the kingdom of God is completely opposite of the kingdom of this world. So before we leave today, Let's look unto Jesus, right? Let's go to Hebrews, or Hebrews 12 says, look unto Jesus. So let's, let's look at how Jesus paced his life in order he could finish, right? Because it would appear that Jesus came on the scene and like slapped Sabbath right in the face, right? He started doing all sorts of stuff on the Sabbath, and the religious people were like, Mm-mm, you can't do that, you can't heal. And he would say stuff like, please, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And then he would say other things like, Sabbath, Sabbath was created for man, not man for Sabbath. In other words, this pace was created to be your servant, not your master. This was created to serve you and to serve the purposes of God. It's not about religion. So Jesus didn't keep the religious regulations of Sabbath all the time, but he kept the spirit of Sabbath by walking at a pace that would ensure he could finish. See, Jesus had a burn time. Jesus had to make it to the cross. Only 33 years old when he died. I don't know if he knew how old or young he would be when he died. We know he knew he was going to die a criminal's death, but did he know how long he needed to last? I'm not sure. But what he did is he kept a pace because he couldn't afford to burn out. Jesus couldn't afford to burn out. And he couldn't afford to die of diabetes or anything else. He, He couldn't die diseased. He had to die done. He had to make it to the cross. He had to finish. There was a lot to do on the way. There's healing and saving and delivering and multiplying fish and all this, but none of it mattered if he didn't make it to the cross. He had to make it to his burn time. He had to finish. So his pace involved the rhythm of labor, 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 and rest. In fact, if you go and look at it later, you'll see this. One of my favorite examples is Jesus when he walks in the water. Did you know the context of this is that Jesus is actually running late. He sends his disciples ahead of him, and he goes, y'all go, I'm going to dismiss the crowd and catch up with you, but then he decided before catching up with them that he would withdraw a little bit and spend some time with Jesus and just rest. So by the time he gets to the shore, I mean, he's like, yo, these dudes really took my word. Like, they are miles ahead of me on this boat. So here he is standing on the shore. His next assignment is on the other side of the water, and he's in a position where it seems like everybody else is ahead of him. It seems like he's behind. Now, isn't that 
the very thing that drives us to push and run at such a pace. We have this deep feeling that we're behind, that everyone else is ahead of us, that there are places that we haven't been yet, and I ought to be already this far along, and everyone's ahead of me. But Jesus looked at people that were ahead of him. And do y'all think that Jesus could swim? Anybody? Yeah, probably. Let me ask you an easier question to answer, because who knows? Um, do you think he could run? Okay, we think he could probably run. Jesus looks at people who are ahead of him, and he goes, yeah, I'm going to keep my pace. And he walks on the water. He doesn't run. He walks. I'm going to keep my pace. I'm going to keep my rhythm. And somehow, some way, he walks for miles, and he ends up catching up with the people who were laboring in a boat. And how did he catch up? I'm not sure, but I know this. God blessed the rest, did he not? Somehow, at his pace, he was able to catch up. I want you to know this. God knows how to get you where he wants you to be, when he wants you to be there, and he does not take into account where anybody else is on the journey. Well, my last example of Jesus and his rhythm of rest is this, I've actually said everything else to get us here to this moment. One of the most significant ministry moments that Jesus ever has. You've probably heard the sermon preached a million ways about the woman at the well. And today I'm not going to talk about any of the parts you've probably ever heard. I'm not going to talk about how she had five husbands and she was shacking up. Like most people, you know, the preachers just, I've never heard that message without people saying shacking up. They just love to be able to say shacking up. I'm not going to talk about how she ran and came back and so come see a man. I'm not going to talk about how, how all those racist Jews usually all took the long way to avoid Samaria. And they would, but Jesus was like, I'm not going the long way to avoid people. I was sent here for the lost Jews, right? So he, he takes, I'm not going to preach any of that. There's so much content here, but this is what I want to talk about. See, reaching Samaria was one of the things he was sent to earth to do. He's not finished until he does this. This is one of the things that he has to do before he can reach his burn time. So how did this moment come to be where he fulfilled that assignment? This is probably the un most underpreached verse in this whole narrative, and I'm going to read this one verse from John 4, 6 as Jamar comes. It says this, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. You know what words jump out to me? Jesus tired, sat down. We see his disciples run ahead of him and go to the grocery store, but we see him go, I'm going to keep my pace because I'm tired. So he sits down by the well. He wasn't sleepy. He was weary from walking. Now, the culture these days would be screaming at Jesus, right? What do you mean you're tired? It is only noon. We have a next destination to be at. We got a next preaching engagement. We got a next miracle. What about the next crowd? What's about the next uh, platform? What about the next assignment? Come on, Jesus, we got to get to the next one. He's like, no, 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 no. Next will be there when I get there. But right now, I got to keep my pace. See, that hunger for what's next is what drives us to burn in a way that we were not designed to burn. The culture is screaming at you. Why are you standing still? Get to next. And Jesus is like, mm, 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 mm. no. One of the most significant ministry moments in all of scripture happens when Jesus sits down to rest. 
Can you imagine the fact that this moment actually wasn't planned? I mean, God the Father planned it, but Jesus literally has this significant history-altering moment because he's determined no one's going to rush him, that he is going to keep his pace. It wasn't planned by him. He just wouldn't be rushed. He, he didn't sit at that well to do ministry. He sat because he was tired and because he was thirsty. He, he, he sat there to keep his pace, a finishing pace. Ask yourself this, what, what would have happened if he pressed through what he was feeling? Because we all can do that. You know what? I'm really tired. I ought to take a break, but I'm just going to go to Starbucks and then I'll be good. What if he would have pressed through onto the next thing? And never met the woman at the well. Never broke open all of Samaria. None of that. Uh, what if? I want to ask you, how many moments are we missing because we are trying so hard to compete with some person or some ideal or some invisible thing that we're competing with that we are rushing past the well? And something that we were actually sent to do to this earth, we are missing because when we're in Starbucks, we got our headphones in. So if somebody wants to talk to us, they can't. You know, we're always just in a rush, 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 rush. I don't see Jesus laying on his horn because he wasn't late. He wasn't in a rush. He, he, he kept his pace. And so here, this moment happens. It's so profound. He reveals himself as living water only because he stopped to take a drink of some dead water. And the disciples come back and go, we got your food. And he goes, oh, I'm good. I already ate. And they're like, he had snacks? I mean, he sent us, and Jesus replied, I have a kind of food that, that you don't know anything about. And Jesus explained, my nourishment, see, in this world, you live for certain things, fulfillment, getting your next everything, next, 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 next. You're so worried about next, you miss now. You're like, when did this happen? When did, when did my marriage fall apart? Well, your head was in next rather than now. When did I stop loving Jesus so passionately that my, uh, the kingdom of my life became more important than the kingdom of God? When you were so fixed on next that you miss now. He says, my fulfillment, what brings me nourishment is, is this, verse 34, to do what God sent me to do and to finish. To finish his work. In other words, y'all can run and compete. I'm not trying to get a trophy. I'm trying to get a crown. I got a burn time. And there is a joy set before me that you can't see. Ministry moments, crowds, who cares? But what I see in the future is if I make it to the finish line, an entire people from here until all of future time reconciled to God the Father. And for that joy, I'm going to endure. And if I'm going to endure, that means I have to have a pace. I have to have a pace that I can set that will allow me to finish. And then the deception is this, that the pace is a waste of time. And Jesus says, no, no, no. If you want to win something, compete with everyone, go ahead and keep that pace. But if you want to die done, follow me. Follow me. And then as he is approaching the end of his burn time, he says things like, you'll only have this light. And I see this candle again, right? You'll only have this light with you for a while. And he says, and then at a certain point, the father is going to lean over and he's going to blow this flame out. And when he does, I want the sound of the last drop of wax to hit the floor. 
And when it does, and when it did, you know what that last drop of wax hitting the foot of the cross sounded like? It sounded like three words. It is finished. Jesus, what are you doing walking? I'm finishing. The culture to you, what are you, what are you doing? Not rushing for the next, 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 next. No, no, I'm finishing. I'm keeping a pace to finish. So when I'm done, I can say, after Katie died, <laughs> excuse me, when Katie died, she completed the will of God in her life. Let me ask you this as we close. What race are you running that has you so tired? Who are you competing with? And if you beat them, what do you really win? Because there are no medals. There's only crowns. God has never been, nor will he ever be, impressed with burnout. He's not standing there seeing if maybe you'll beat your family to heaven. No, there's no crowns for exhaustion or burnout. There's one finish line. And by the way, the time you're supposed to make was determined before you were even sent. It was predetermined, your burn time. Let it be said of us as a church, as ambassadors, that we didn't die disease, we died done. Because we followed a forerunner who set a pace for us that was a finishing pace. Jesus, like a candle, was a light in the darkness until God breathed his very own breath and put out that flame. Not one moment before. On behalf of Jesus, I just want to invite you today to rest. Come unto me, all you who labor, 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 and I will give you rest. Come unto me, all you who labor, 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 and I will give you rest for your souls. Read that scripture. He says, take my yoke. I thought you wanted me to rest. A yoke is used to work. He says, yeah, a yoke is a, a wooden cross piece fastened across the necks of two animals for labor, labor, labor. But if you're yoked with me, you will be forced to walk at my pace, and then you'll find rest for your souls. Come unto me. Walk with me. The pace God has set is for the good of your soul and the good of the kingdom that you might burn in a way that you finish. I just want to remind you and set you free today by reminding you that God will still bless the rest. Would you bow your heads? Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.